Hello and welcome back to Future Prairie Radio, where marginalized artists explore the future of the arts, humanities, and culture. I'm your host, Joni Whitworth. This is Season 6, Episode 1, By Any Means, with David Shirkani. Welcome back. This is Season 6, and I hope that you're snug and settling into winter. I've been reading a lot recently, including Russian novels. That's been super fun. And I hope that wherever you are, you are finding energy and warmth and resilience to pull you through this time into the next phase of your creative practice. I'm excited for you to hear from David, who's had a vast and varied career. He's a true Renaissance man, an artist and a designer based here in Portland, Oregon. He recently got a grant from our Regional Arts and Culture Council for his innovative community building work at the intersection of art and mental health. I thought his energy for projects might be a perfect fit to inspire you for whatever creative endeavor you want to embark on in 2023. Thank you so much for all of the community and connections and support you've offered to me via Future Prairie over the years. It's been a ton of fun. Here's Dave. Uh, my name is Dave Shirkani. Uh, I am 37 years old, originally from Virginia, but born in Fort Hood, Texas, to two military parents in the Army. Uh, they didn't stay married for very long, but we ended up in Virginia. That's where they were stationed. We moved around a lot, but always in Virginia. So it's like Northern Virginia, Southern Virginia, Hampton, Williamsburg. So yeah, most of my upbringing is from there. Kind of suburban, kind of colonial. It's a really interesting kind of place. I didn't love it. <laughs> yeah. My parents were really big on, I guess, me pursuing athletics. So I had a really big sports background, especially in high school. I tried to do every sport possible. I was on the football team, the cross country team. I was a cheerleader, I was on the wrestling team. I found my calling in rowing, actually, and I was a really good rower. And I desperately wanted to like get into one of the Ivy Leagues, like uh, I had my eyes on Dartmouth or maybe Rutgers, and just getting out of Virginia and just, you know, by any means necessary. And I did really well in rowing. I got to row in this international championship in Canada called the Royal Canadian Henley, and I won. And then I found out that none of those Ivy League schools give scholarships. None of them. Zero. Uh, Out-of-state tuition for Dartmouth or Rutgers is like $60,000 a semester. I gave it up. I gave it up right there and then. I won that race and I, I initially retired at the age of 17 from rowing and decided to play music instead. I picked up a guitar and got some friends together and we started a band and our band ended up being really successful. Uh, we took off during our college years, we got to tour, uh, we got an amazing opportunity to open up for Boys to Men and Faith Evans on a military base for this event called Mandatory Fun Day, where everyone on a military base has the day off and they're forced to come to your concert. By me, it was it was an escape route. I just needed to get out of Virginia by any means necessary kind of thing. And you know, entertainment or being, I guess, in the spotlight never bothered me. I always liked attention. I always liked being the center of attention and playing music just made sense to me. That band was called Mile High School. We were a pop band. We were in like the Warp Tour kind of circuit, but we 
don't know, our timing was always kind of off. We were like just before MySpace or like just before Facebook. So we like, you know, still put up physical flyers and we didn't have, you know, the whole website thing. And I don't know, we just never, we always felt like like a, a day behind kind of. And uh, we, we wrote good songs. We wrote fun little hooks. They, they, I don't know, they'd be kind of on par with like a Newfound Glory or a Sum 41 of today. Totally loved my, my pop punk. I, I worked at Hot Topic back then as well uh, yes. to get my way through community college. Yes. Uh, it, that, was, that was it. I'd tour on the weekends and then we would uh, go to school and work during the week and it was fun. <laughs> Eventually that band broke up though. Uh, our singer decided that he didn't want to tour anymore. He had like three kids, I think. And he was just like, hey, this isn't for me. Uh, our drummer had a kid and he was like, hey, this isn't for me. And we tried to keep it going and it was just more of a struggle. But um, I decided to leave the performing side and move over to the crew side. And I ended up being like a drum tech for a couple of bands and a tour manager for a couple of bands. And I actually found my calling in merch, in t-shirts, uh, designing and making and selling band merchandise. Amazing. Yeah. I got to do that for uh, Maxwell, Jill Scott, Erica Badu, um, Maroon 5, Train, Cypress Hill. Spent about 13 years on the road just selling t-shirts, either for myself, I had a clothing line back then, uh, and you know, I'd work my way up to these, these big artists or these big tours, these big festivals, and I would go on the tour buses with them and travel the world and just selling t-shirts. I got to go to Dubai with Train. Uh, I got to do like every state fair in the country with Maroon 5. Uh, I did the Warp Tour while Katy Perry was on it, which was like 15 years ago. It was fun, it was a blast. I eventually had a daughter uh, and decided that a dad life was gonna be my priority and I wasn't gonna be on the tour bus anymore. So around, around 2016, I I moved here, moved out here to Oregon. Uh, I'd always come through Portland on tour, but rarely did we ever play shows here. This is the kind of place that like, the big acts take a day off. They come here to relax. <laughs> it happens, yeah. Uh, so I got to hang out here in Portland, and I remember telling myself like, I am gonna live here one day. And now I do. Yeah, I had a feeling, I had this, this great, vibe about this place, I love it here. Yeah. I moved to Oregon, I wasn't making shirts for anybody, I wasn't touring with anybody, but I wanted to, I wanted to do, I didn't want to tour, but I wanted to create, I wanted to be an artist. I never considered myself an artist, I always considered myself either a merch guy or a bass player or just like a, like a hired gun, you know, to, to go on the road and I wanted to change that. I was like, I want to look at myself as an artist and see myself as an artist. So yeah. I started Black and Gifted, I started with one jacket denim jacket from American Apparel that we embroidered a tiger on, just said black and gifted. And I loved it. I wore it everywhere. I got a job as a security guard at the Aladdin Theater and I wore that every show. And I used to get so much love from every person coming through the door like, yo man, that jacket is tight. Yes. I just had this one, it was all beat up and it, it looked great. And I was like, I'm gonna start making more. I'm gonna make some more. So I made a bunch of them. I made some t-shirts. I made some old NAACP. Did you see the NAACP used to have a, a volleyball team and a tennis team and like a soccer team? I remade some of their old uniforms and it was great. It was a huge success. I would sell them at the My People's Market. Um, I was starting to gain a little bit of notoriety and, and a little bit of having fun, you know, doing pop-ups here and there wherever I felt like it. And then the pandemic hit and I hit this massive depression. I just didn't want to get out of bed. I, I probably spent the first month just totally sad, totally not functional at all. Yeah. 
And then uh, the protests started happening and the demonstrations started happening and all the speeches started happening. And I was like, I'm black and gifted. I need to get out there and be with these people. And so I would start setting up pop-ups at these events. And I wouldn't so much sell my items as I always just said everything was sliding scale, just pay whatever you think is fair. And I got this trend of white people who would pay for clothes and then not take them. And they'd say like, the next black person that comes up to your tent, just give them one of these. And it was a pay it forward kind of thing. And it kept happening every event, every time, you know, someone would be like, hey, like, oh, that jacket is tight. I'm gonna buy it for him. <laughs> oh, that jacket is tight. I'm gonna get it for her. That shirt is cool. I'm gonna get it for her. Like they would just donate. They would just give, they would, they would leave me bottles of water or they would leave me like, like cases of bottles of water or food rations or hand sanitizer and stuff like that. And we were able to distribute it to the community and it was just this glorious feeling. It totally rejuvenated me and revived all of the everything. <laughs> it was great, it was wonderful. It was beautiful to see the black community come together to really celebrate life, to, to celebrate these, these big Juneteenths as well it, during all of that. I felt like it was an unknown holiday until recent years and it's really getting the limelight that it deserves, you know, that, that it, it should speak for American history and, and all that it is. Uh, through my, also my like sadness as well, we created this brain character. I, I'd been s struggling with my depression during the, the first month of the pandemic so hard that we wanted to kind of create a character that you could represent as your mental health awareness, like taking care of not just your body, but also your mind, your emotional state, not, you know, your, your physiology inside and all that. And I think a lot of people weren't ready to sit alone in apartments and houses like we all had. Like we all had the same experience, yeah. but a completely different experience all at the same time. And I, I beat myself up about like feeling I'd lost my place in the world, that this, this pause and everything, I was going to have to start over financially, start over uh, employment wise, you know, I lost a lot of friends who just through their own depression took their own lives during the pandemic. Um, it, it was really hard on me. So we, we took brain and we were invited to be a part of the Portland Winter Lights Festival and we made a giant 16 foot inflatable version of it that we filled with intelligent lighting and we got to set up downtown um, as part of the festival. So we got to be a part of that and we got a lot of like press and we got all this, but the big thing was we invited people down to like talk about their experiences and discuss like, you know, what they did. And one person came, we were, we were in this building, the ZGF building, and one person came downstairs and said, this is the first time I've left my apartment since the beginning of the pandemic. Like, at all. It's like I have everything delivered to my door. I haven't been outside. Like, this is the first time I'm tasting fresh air in months. It's like, thank you. And that, that hit me hard. And we decided to create a clothing, uh, like a, a bit of capsule collection around that. And we donated all the proceeds to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline because they do a fantastic job. And they asked, they just got a short number. I don't know if you know that or not. They used to have like a long like 1-800 number and now they get like a short number. Oh, it was, it was so amazing. So uh, they have a small kind of a like platform uh, just in their inner lobby and it's huge windows, 20 foot tall glass, beautiful just sun coming in. And we set up our brain character on like a little patch of AstroTurf grass with these giant dandelions and like tulips and daisy, like paper mache flowers all around it. And it had this intelligent lighting within it that it would just glow pink. 
and it would have these little like bursts of light here and there, like little synapses going off like within your brain. And our intention with it, uh, we tried to make the face kind of a reflection of our own. Like a lot of people look at brain and they say, well, he looks anxious or he looks afraid or they look scared or she looks sad. And we say, well, it's supposed to be a reflection of you. So maybe what you see is a mirror of your own feelings within, you know, like looking at brain is really looking at yourself. The, the idea of brain had come just before the pandemic. Uh, we wanted to do something around mental health awareness and I had, weren't quite sure yet. And I had gotten a job working as the merch person at the Wonder Ballroom. And this fantastic artist came to the Wonder Ballroom. I can't believe she was ever small enough to perform there because she's so famous now. Uh, she was by the name Japanese Breakfast. And all of her merchandise was done by one 19-year-old kid in Japan named Huro. And... I had tapped him to help me kind of sculpt this brain character. I had some early sketches and we had sent some emails back and forth and it was just a lot of fun uh, working with them. And we ended up coming up with the final product um, of brain. And I said, I want to make a big one. I want to make a really, really big version of it. At first I thought like, you know, what can we do that? If we were going to make like, uh, like a float, you know, like, like chicken wire or like fabric or something like that. And then someone's like, you know, what about those things they use at car dealerships, the giant inflatable characters from those? So we reached out to the company that like makes like those locally and they made us a brain character. Cool. It was really cool. It was actually, it was a lot of fun. And some of my grant money actually went towards doing that uh, from, from my earlier grants. So again, appreciate the grant money. Uh, we, we've done these, some jackets. We have done some work with NAACP. We've done some work with the... Uh, Suicide Prevention Lifeline. All right, now we're doing some work uh, with a local events space called Jaja PDX, which uh, was founded by a retired Cirque du Soleil performer. Their intention is to open a circus school uh, within their walls. Uh, it's, it's right next door to the Red on Salmon building. It's a beautiful space. I highly recommend anyone who has the opportunity to tour it. And I've been doing their markets. Uh, we do, I, I had enjoyed doing pop-ups so much I get to kind of help some other people do them as well. So we establish a little like weekend market once a month and uh, we invite all kinds of different vendors and artists and creators and performers to come out and kind of hustle their goods. They want to, they want everything. They, we just had uh, some dance companies in there this past weekend as well as we had a compliment battle uh, which we used our RACC funding uh, for that. Thank you again. Uh, we had a, it was a hip hop compliment battle where 16 local rappers had to uplift each other in competition form. No Instead of way. like a diss track, they had to be nice to each other. And it was amazing. It was the most phenomenal three hours of my entire life. Uh, it was all the brain idea of uh, a local hip-hop artist named Jedi. And he put the whole thing together, and it, it was phenomenal. I think it's going to become a regular event. Uh, but we, we had dancers at it. We had hip-hop artists. We had a market. All of this under the, the Jaja PDX roof. There's an artist collective within there as well, and they do live painting, and they share their artwork and things like that. And it's just a beautiful space. And they don't want to be like a venue. They want to be like a space. They want to like be a, like a living museum almost kind of thing. You know, it's, it's always changing and always morphing and modulizing. And it's, it's, oh, it's amazing. Keep creating by whatever means make me happy. If it doesn't make me happy, I won't do it. Uh -huh. You know, if, it, if I don't see a future in it, I don't do it. I, I, I tend to pivot pretty quick if I 
you know, just if I have a feeling, if I have a hunch, or I like something else, I'm, I'm easily distracted. <laughs> Attention span can be measured in nanoseconds. So yeah, one day I'm making t-shirts, one day I'm making inflatables, maybe one day I'll write a book, maybe one day I'll write music again, you know, maybe one day I'll be an actor. I, when I first moved here, I was in a cameo in Portlandia. I thought I wanted to be an actor. My attention span takes me all kinds of places. The brain uh, will keep going. Uh, as long as there's somewhere to set it up and talk about our mental health and our experiences and our triumphs and our successes in it, then brain will continue to grow and thrive and I hope inspire others. And we'll keep every year, uh, either around the Portland Winter Lights Festival or around Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, we usually set up brain in as many public spaces as we can and talk to the community, just get there you know, get their honest opinion on themselves, on, on how they're taking care of themselves, you know? Some people put more stock into their gym membership than they do into their mental health, and we want to change that. Thanks is the big one. Thank you. Couldn't have done it without the funding, couldn't have done a lot of my projects without this funding or these grants or these organizations. So, yeah, big props to you guys. Snaps. <laughs> yeah, it takes a community. Uh, it takes a village, you know, to, to raise our, our, ourselves up, to make art, to make these spaces, to make everything inclusive and, you know, feel right. This episode was sponsored by Oregon Humanities and the Oregon Community Foundation. Written and produced by me, Joni Whitworth, and edited by Dominic Armstrong. If you have any questions for us or feedback about the show, I hope you'll feel free to reach out at any time, futureprairie.com, or hit us up on social media at futureprairie.